overtime next. We are back with another episode of the Heading Into Overtime podcast. I am your host, Tyler Farron. We got Jake on the line. What's up, Jake? How we doing, bro? How we doing? Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning back in to another episode of Heading Into Overtime, and I'm glad to get another one going. And today, we're going to be talking a lot about the NFL. We're going to be talking about a lot of the upsets that came on this week. Uh, we're going to talk about gold glove candidates for baseball, and maybe even some free agent signings that we'll be seeing in the offseason, Jake. Yeah, I'm really excited. Baseball, you know, I think the baseball offseason is is a very, very fun time. It's not, you know, product on the field, but a lot of stuff, a lot of moving pieces and a lot of, you know, award seasons getting underway with the gold gloves and we've got the MVPs and Cy Youngs coming up. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk about those. And we'll be mainly talking about the hitters today, which should be very fun. There's a lot of great candidates. You know, we got the shortstops that are playing. That should be very exciting to see. I'm very excited to see who moves, who stays. It'll be an interesting offseason, but we're going to talk about that. And before we get started, uh, I just want to let you guys know that we did officially drop some merch. My man Jake's going to be copping the merch. I'm currently wearing the merch, but Jake, tell them what you think about the fire merch. The merch, the merch is pretty sick, I'm not going to lie. You know, we got the white hoodie, the white shirts look clean, got the Heading Into Overtime logo right on the t-shirt. You got a phone case, some stickers. We got a lot of good stuff for you guys if you want to check it out. Would highly recommend you guys get it. Appreciate you guys if you guys have checked it out. Um, just stay tuned for the future. And if you guys are listening on Apple podcasts, make sure you guys do us a favor, uh, subscribe. So you guys get to hear more of these podcasts. Also leave us a review. Same thing with Spotify, follow whatever you guys can do. Subscribe on YouTube. Appreciate you guys for listening and let's get straight into it. Jake, a crazy week of upsets, Buffalo bills. Let's talk about the bills, man. What did you think this week? I mean, the bills go on the road to Jacksonville, double digit favorites, the Bills coming into the week are the odds-on Super Bowl favorite, and they don't get in the end zone once. They put up a field goal in each of the first two quarters and then put up nothing in the second half and lose 9-6 to six to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it, it just not something anyone saw coming. Oh, yeah, it was a crazy, get, crazy day, and then we also had Josh Allen on Josh Allen. I mean, that's probably going to be the story that we hear from the game. Unreal. Uh, we heard Josh Allen got an interception, he had a sack, and he forced a fumble. The dude had a career day against Josh Allen, and Josh Allen did not have a career day. He looked awful. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do going forward. Obviously, they're one of the top teams in the AFC, but if they lose to teams like Jacksonville, they're screwed for the playoffs. Yeah, it's weird. See, we saw a lot of good teams lose to bad teams this week. Earlier in the year, the Titans lost to the Jets. Um, it's I wouldn't read too far into it. I still think come playoff time, the Bills are – Probably the top team in the AFC. I think they have a ton of weapons, and that defense is really starting to shape up. You know, defense only gives up nine points. If you give up nine points in an NFL game, chances are you're going to win the game. Um, so you don't want to, you know, put the loss on them. The offense just couldn't find a way to produce. Um, but I still think Buffalo's the main force in the AFC going forward. 
I think it's definitely them. And then you also got to talk about the Ravens. The Ravens are playing great football right now. They've looked phenomenal. Um, but Jacksonville, Urban Meyer finally got a win in the USA. And the Jaguars got a win in the USA. A big day for them. Lawrence didn't look phenomenal. Didn't have a lot going for him that day. But at the end of the day, they came away with the victory. And I'm pretty sure there was no James Robinson. James, yeah, there was no James Robinson. Yeah, James Robinson, didn't, James Robinson didn't see the field. Um, nursing what seems to be an ankle injury. And, you know, they still found a way to come out on top. Very happy to see the Jacksonville Jaguars finally edge one out. That's going to be big for them in the future. Uh, and not much of an upset that we were going to talk about. It, it was just an interesting game at this point because at the beginning of the season, we would have said, this is bound to happen. The Browns were going to win. But coming into this point, I would think we would all assume that the Bengals were going to beat the Browns. I mean, the Bengals have been playing some amazing football. They come off a loss of the Jets, which was very unlikely. I don't think anyone really saw that coming. But they take the loss of the Jets, and now they come into Cleveland, or face Cleveland, and they get absolutely trampled. Yeah, I didn't see this one coming either, especially with the week that the Browns had with all the OBJ stuff going on, uh, the receiving core getting even, getting even thinner. You know, last week we talked about Baker and how he wasn't impressing either of us. I had Joe, I was, we talked last week about the Bengals and how they were impressing us, even coming off, you know, a, a big loss. And, you know, I thought it would be a nice bounce back spot for the Bengals, and they got plummeted 41-16 uh, to 16 at home to the Cleveland Browns. It was a crazy game. Uh, Nick Chubb always does Nick Chubb things. He had a great game. Uh, and I think Baker just dominates against teams like Cincinnati. And he's dominated Cincinnati's whole career. He had one of the best starts of his career last time he played Cincinnati. Uh, and they dominate without Odell. I mean, dude, what's going to go on with Odell? That's an interesting situation, ain't it? Yeah, he gets released by the Browns following everything that went down clears waivers doesn't no team puts a claim in on him he cleared waivers officially today so he's a free agent for the first time in his career he could kind of handpick where he wants to go based off you know who has cap space and whatnot um reported that the packers are the number one spot on his list which could be a fun you know one two him and Devonte when you know rogers comes back healthy we don't know what's going to happen with him if he gets suspended or whatever with his whole covid situation but you know adding another weapon to that green bay offense could be a very scary thing for the rest of the nfc I mean, dude, do you think he goes to Green Bay? Uh, I think it's very possible. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a good fit. I think, you know, Rodgers and him could could work very well together. I could definitely see that happening. I think it's there, New Orleans or Green Bay. I, I no, actually, there, New Orleans or San Fran. I think San Fran's yeah. a highly likely possibility. I, I would love yes. to see him play there. Jimmy G, not the best quarterback, but he gets that weapon. He gets George Do you Kittle. think Jimmy G's done? You think Trey Lance is is going to make a start next week? <sighs> I mean, that's 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 tough cuz I think Shanahan's so like he's got he's got Jimmy G right by like the neck. Like he wants him to play, but he knows he's not producing and he's got that Super Bowl still in his mind. So it's kind of hard but to Jim bench him. I mean, Jimmy G's got them at three and five, and just lost by fourteen at home to a Kyler Murray and De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins list Cardinals team. I feel like you got to shake something up. I agree. I think Lance should start, but I I don't know if you're the 49ers. Like you, you, you think he should? You just don't know if they'll pull the trigger. I, I don't. You. I don't think Shanahan has the guts to do it. I really don't. I think he's just scared. But I mean, we'll see what happens. I'll, Odell would make a lot of a difference. I mean that. That would give Lance a possibility of coming in, having a great weapon, or Jimmy G just having another better weapon to throw to. 
yeah, it gives Jimmy G another reliable receiver, you know, takes some of the attention off of Kittle and Debo Samuel. Let's Brandon Ayuk kind of run a little bit more. Um, yeah, it definitely adds another weapon to that offense that you have to pay attention to and takes a little bit of the pressure off some other guys. Well, dude, and finally they got Brandon Ayuk involved this week. I mean, it's about time. Yeah, like, it is about time. Six for 89 and a touchdown. It's Eight about, targets, which is it's ridiculous. behind Debo. Yeah. It's yeah, like, no, dude, they, he's they, one of your star receivers. Like, I, I don't get how you don't get him more involved, but finally they do. And they did see good results out of him. Uh, hopefully Shanahan takes him out of the doghouse. But if you had to pick one possibility, we briefly talked about it. But what do you think the one landing spot is for Odell? Do you think it's Green Bay? Do you think it's San Fran? Where are we, where are we thinking? I think it's Green Bay. I really do. It just it just makes sense to me. Um, I think Green Bay, out of the three teams we talked about, you know, Green Bay, the Saints, and the Niners, it gives him the best chance to win a ring this year, which is what I think he really ultimately wants. And I think it just makes sense. They've been looking for a second, you know, receiving stud for a while. And, you know, with Odell kind of just hanging out there as a free agent for them to go after, I think it just makes too much sense. Now, as a Cowboy fan, I've seen a lot of people like, and this makes no sense. I will be the first to say it. it it's stupid. They want him to be a Cowboy just because it'll make – us that more unstoppable and the thing is is we are stoppable we lost to the damn broncos the broncos (laughs) yeah you guys fell uh 30 to 16 at home and didn't put up points until the fourth i mean uh, it was it was it was a tough game to watch if you're a cowboys fan for sure i mean i mean the good thing is for for denver is they're one qb away one good qb away from winning a super bowl or heading to the super bowl at least teddy bridgewater i really like I really like their receiving core a lot. Um, but yeah, they're, like you said, they're one solid quarterback away from making making a push. Aaron Rodgers. Could talk, potentially. Potentially. A little pull up Peyton Manning and head to Denver at the end of his career and win, win, win one final ring. Oh, I could see that happening for sure. I would love to see it, actually. And I mean, I want him out of the NFC. I want my Cowboys to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. So I think uh, him going over to the AFC would be a lot better. Do I think it happens? I think there's a good chance. I think it's like a 50-50 type thing. But uh, if they get that quarterback like Rodgers, I think they could easily go to the Super Bowl. Uh, But Dak looked horrendous. There's nothing good to say about Dak's performance on Sunday. And Denver's defense looked great. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You're the Cowboys fan. What what happened this week? Because last week we talked about the Cowboys as you know perennial Super Bowl contenders, and just like I said for the Bills, I'll say it for the Cowboys. I'm not going to read too far into you know one week and one one down performance. But what what do you think happened this week that the Cowboys need to look to avoid in future weeks to uh, stay out of the loss column? Well, I mean, the problem with this week is it was more so Dak, and I never thought I'd be saying that, but crucial overthrows that could that that just can't happen. Um, there was some play calling that was a little, cons- like it was a little concerning. And then there was some fourth down, you know, we fourth down conversion, you know, calls that we, it just didn't make sense. Like where we went for, I think we went for it on like our own 39 in fourth, it's yeah, not yeah, four down watched, territory. I, yeah. I watch a lot of the Cowboys considering I have Dak, Amari and Zeke spread out about spread out upon my fantasy teams. And it was just, there was just nothing going for them offensively. Every throw Dak had to make, he seemed to find a way to mess up. And, you know, they didn't get on the board till the fourth quarter, the 13 to, or the 30 to 16 final score, I don't think is, is a fair assessment of how that game went at all. I think it was a much, uh, not, not nearly as close as that score would suggest. Um, 
but yeah, the the, the Browns can't or the Browns. The Broncos came out, ran the ball all over the uh, the Cowboys with Javante Williams over 100 yards for the first time in his career, and Melvin Gordon tallying 80 yards. Um, just a down week for the Cowboys, similar to the Bills. They'll have to bounce back next week, and I think they will. No, and I mean my my buddy's a Cowboy fan too, and he's like, "Oh, dude, we're screwed, we're screwed." I'm I'm worried about this team, bro. If you're worried about the team after a loss to the Denver Broncos, I mean, it's not like the Broncos are a bad team. They're definitely solid. They're not horrible. Uh, they like I said, they're one quarterback away from winning or going to a Super Bowl. So I think it's a little too early to jump on that train to say that. But who knows? What's yeah, the Cowboys happen. had won six straight games. They'd won six straight games before that. You know, you're due. You're due to falter at some point. Have the Falcons at home next week, which I'm sure they'll uh, they'll take care of business against Atlanta. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. But I think a lot of Cowboys fans and even NFC fans are like, "Oh, the Cowboys are done. It's it's over." And I'm like, "No, nah, it's it's not. You you wait, man." Yeah, no, but I mean, we had a lot of blowouts, not blowouts this week, but disappointing games for some teams. We also had a lot of really tight games. You know, we had we had the Falcons and the Saints, uh, the Giants and the Raiders and the Chargers and the Eagles uh, uh, all coming down to like the final last three or four minutes of those games with great endings. Yeah, there were some great games this week. But like like I said at the beginning, some of the most wild, un, just unthinkable endings. I mean, I never would have thought that the Broncos would have won this week. I never would have thought that the um, the Rams would be losing to the Titans. We're going to talk about that soon, but there were a lot of games that just going into it made no sense. But there was one really good game this week, and that was the Ravens and the Vikings. Vikings are a very solid football team. They played really, really well. They fought hard. They have fought hard against the good teams, which I really do like. But the Ravens. Yeah, I think the Vikings. I think the Vikings have to be the best three and five football team I've seen in a very long time. Possibly ever, dude. The, the way they're, they're playing. They lost by three in week one to the Bengals. They lost by a point in week two to the Cardinals. A touchdown in week four to the Browns. Four points to the Cowboys, and then by a field goal in overtime to the Ravens. Yeah, no. They're all. All five of their losses are by seven points or less. And I, they should have beat the Cardinals. I mean, you said it, but it, 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 they could have come out and we wouldn't have been talking about the Cardinals being undefeated at one point. Yeah, you're right. So the Ravens, though, like I said, one of the most dominant teams in the, in the whole league right now, but they're definitely the most dominant in the AFC, I'd say. The most dangerous. Um, they've overcome injuries. But the question I give the Vikings and Vikings fans do you like Zimmer? Like, is Zimmer the guy there? Do you make a change? Is it Kirk Cousins? What What's the deal over in Minnesota? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, as I said, you know, last week, I think they have to find some way to shake things up. Um, you know, this game, as much as you want to say it was a Vikings collapse, Lamar just came alive in the second half, you know, found themselves down 24 to 10 after the Vikings ran the opening kick of the second half back to put them up by four, uh, two touchdowns. And then it was just all Lamar after that. The guy ended up finishing with 266 yards in the air, three touchdowns, 120 yards on the ground. You know, got Hollywood Brown involved, got Rashad Bateman involved, uh, even got a touchdown for Patrick Ricard, you know, three for 35 and a touchdown in the air. The Ravens were just firing on all cylinders in the second half, and the Vikings just didn't have a way to respond. Yeah, Lamar Jackson is playing MVP-type football, and I mean— People will hate to admit it because they're going to say he's a running back, but the dude looks good this season. I like Lamar. Yeah, Lamar looks great. I have always not been very high on Lamar. Um, 
just because for, I just want my quarterback to have, you know, the big arm to throw the ball. But the guy wins games. Like, you can't deny that. They're 6-2, and two, um, winning big games, big comebacks. You can't you can't deny results. All you want to do is win. And if Lamar's going to help you do that, I don't really care how he does it, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that 100%. And um, we're going to talk about a team that didn't have a quarterback this week, or at least their main quarterback, the uh, the, the Packers. They lost to the Chiefs. And it wasn't a bad game for Jordan Love, but it wasn't good either. Yeah, Jordan Love, he just looked very uncomfortable in his first career start, which, you know, you, you're not necessarily surprised by in a guy's first career start on the road in Kansas City in an electric environment where Kansas City desperately needs a win um, to put themselves back over 500. Um yeah, Jordan Love looked he looked like a quarterback in his first career start. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. Um, he got more comfortable as the game went on, finished 19 for 34 for 190 and a touchdown, also threw a pick. Um, yeah, the char- without um, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers just struggled to find any sort of offensive mojo, finished with, you know, got in the end zone in the fourth quarter, was scoreless until then, and, you know, fall to 7-2. and two. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like Mahomes looked great either. That dude's the definition of average right now, which sucks to say, say because, like, we've all watched Mahomes and seen him become the face of the NFL, and now he's just looking like not the best quarterback in the NFL. It's weird. Yeah, he had very comparable numbers to Jordan Love. Uh was 20 for 37 for 166 and a touchdown. Didn't throw a pick this week. Um, but yeah, they only put up 13 points again, kind of what we said last week, uh, with their win against the giants, they got the win, but it, they didn't prove anything to anybody. And it wasn't, you know, the, the statement win that we feel that the chiefs need to kind of get back on track. Well, and somehow they're still at the top of the a- AFC West. Like they're still in the race. It's between, I think it's a, it's a three way or four way tie now, I think. Right. Uh, in the AFC West right now, we have. The Chargers and the Raiders at five and three, and the Chiefs and the Broncos at five and four. Yeah, so that, I mean, it's neck and neck. It's going to be a lot closer than people think. Um, I don't know if the Chiefs end up coming out on top in that division. I mean, the Raiders just came off a loss to the to the Giants, uh, not a good loss at all for them. But you got the Chargers; they're always like an up and down team this season. It feels like they're good one week and then they're bad the other. Um, but they actually have a chance to somehow sneak into the playoffs this year. Yeah, you know, you're talking about who's going to come out on top in this division. The Chiefs' schedule doesn't lighten up. They have the Raiders twice. They have the Broncos twice. They have the Chargers. They have the Cowboys. And they have the Steelers and the Bengals. And then, you know, you look at a team like the Chargers in that division, and you look at their schedule going forward, they've got some easier games. They have the Texans. They have the Giants. Uh, they they have the Steelers, they have the Vikings, but you know it's going to come down to strength of schedule, and I could see any of these teams, maybe aside from Denver, um, taking this division. In all honesty, as a Cowboy fan, I think the Chiefs beat us. I mean, I just think that we're not going to be able to stop Tyreek. I don't think we're going to be able to stop Kelsey. Like they have too many weapons to just contain them all. Yeah, I mean, you say that, but they've had these weapons all year, and it's not like anyone's really yep. jumping off the page. That's true. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if they can figure if they can figure it out and get back to what they've been over the last couple of years. Another interesting thing about this game is: does this game, you know, help Rodgers more in the sense that Green Bay's going to realize, dude, we've messed up this whole entire process. We should have never really gone with Jordan Love. We should have just gotten a reliable backup quarterback. 
or pulled the Saints and just waited for Rodgers slash Breeze to retire and then figure out the future from that point on? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's his first career start. Like, you look at guys like Peyton Manning was horrific in his first season in the Horrible. NFL. I think he led I think he led the NFL in picks that year. And, you know, we all know how his career shaped out. So I don't want to speculate too much over a guy's first career start. But he definitely look, didn't look like a guy who had been, you know, kind of groomed in the system for three years by by a generational quarterback. Well, the worst part about it is the the whole franchise, like you talk about the the inner front office and the just people in the organization and in the building. You just hear that they're not high on him from the start. So why'd you draft him? I mean, this year's draft class, it's not great, but I would definitely say that quarterbacks are probably a little bit more of the strong part of the class. Like, obviously, there's not amazing quarterbacks. You got um, Malik Willis. You got Matt Corral. Um, you got the North Carolina quarterback. I'm missing out on his name. I'm blanking right now. Sam, Sam Howell. Yeah, Sam Howell. There's a lot of of talent in the draft, and it's not great compared to years previous, but why couldn't you have waited till this year, especially when they were in the NFC championship two years ago and even last year? Yeah. I mean, you guys, the Packers take Jordan love and Jordan love was the only person they could have taken at that pick that would have pissed the entire Packers (laughs) and Aaron Rodgers off. They could have taken any other name on the board and they took the one guy that was going to, have you seen the clip from the Pat Mack? Dude, I was just going to mention it, dude. Swear. Oh my God. If you guys haven't seen that clip, Search search Packers select Jordan Love Pat McAfee. It's Look up the funniest Mad Mo Kuyper. Yeah, they they were doing a live stream during the draft, and <laughs> I, I'm blanking on the guy's name who's like one of Pat's guys on the show. He was like impersonating Mel yeah, Kuyper. Ty, Ty and he's a yeah, and he's like he's a huge Packers fan and was just going. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire oh, life. Oh, dude, like his I watched live that reaction, all the time. His live reaction to the pick and then proceeding to tell Packers fans to pull up to their GM's house with like <laughs> pitchforks and torches. It it will have you laughing like in your stomach for a good five minutes. Oh dude, a hundred percent. I love that clip so much that, that get, that gets me rolling all the time. I, I watch it just like from time to time for no reason. And yep. it's, it's, it never gets old, but yeah. So, so back to what we were talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what the Packers were thinking when they took Jordan love. I, cause, cause even at the time, like, like you said, I wasn't super high on Jordan love as a prospect. And I don't think, I mean, you take, you look at where he was drafted and you'd think that people in their organization were, but I don't know what they were trying to do. Like, were they trying to light a fire under Rogers and like motivate him to keep his job? Like, I feel like that's not what you do with a generational type quarterback. Well, clearly they they did it and they didn't care and think about it. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. We will talk yeah, about – I guess go I ahead. guess somehow Rodgers was out for the week and his job became even more secure. Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. And I, yeah. I haven't watched this morning's uh, interview with Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show, but I'll be interested to watch that because I do want to see what he says about the whole thing because it is Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays if you guys don't know. Yeah, Rodgers is on the Pat McAfee show every week. Last week was, yeah, little, heavy. He, Roger hitter. said some things that were a little, were a little bit off the rails. Um, but yeah, no, it's always, it's always a good interview, and I, I haven't watched this week either. But I'll definitely, I'll definitely check it out. And we'll talk about uh, quarterbacks, you know, that don't succeed. But let's talk about a quarterback that has succeeded this season, Kyler Murray, and he didn't play this week. They had Colt McCoy, a quarterback out of Texas, uh, has not really played in the NFL recently. He's been a backup. And he actually did yeah. okay. He didn't do bad. McCoy was McCoy was great. McCoy's like 
He was your prototypical like stud college quarterback that's kind of just been a journeyman backup forever. Um, and, you know, he got his shot at the start this week. We talked about, you know, the, the Cardinals 49ers game. And, and he was great. He was 12 for 26 for 249 and a touchdown, like out of your backup quarterback. That's all you can ask for. This game reminds me exactly of the Cowboys-Vikings game. Exactly like it. Yeah, it was very, very similar. James Conner was fantastic on the ground as their lead back, 21 for 96 and two touchdowns. Um, also had five for 77 and a touchdown in the air. So he got in the end zone three total times. Uh, Christian Kirk was a lead receiver, six for 91 with DeAndre Hopkins out. Um, they really didn't miss a beat without Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. Act, uh, or They were both inactive. We, they didn't miss a beat without them on the field. And we'll be talking about James Conner later. That, that's, that was a big game from him. They really needed that out of him. Uh, he looks great. The Rams, not so much. The Rams had a very rough game played the Titans on Sunday Night Football. And the Titans played well without Derrick Henry, and Adrian Peterson looked pretty damn good for not playing in the NFL for a year. Yeah, I was I was in my apartment making dinner before this game started, and one of my roommates came in. He's like, are you worried about this game at all? Because I'm a Rams fan. I'm like, no. That was my just one or just no. I didn't say anything else. Didn't give any, give any reasoning, and I was just like, no, not worried at all. And then we came out, and Stafford pulled a Carson Wentz and threw a pick while he was falling <laughs> back into the end zone, um, and then proceeded to throw another pick on his next uh, passing attempt, which was returned for six. And next thing you know, the Rams are down twenty-one to three at half, and just struggled to get anything going, and fall at home to a Derrick Henryless Titans team. That, you know, kind of like the Cardinals didn't look like they missed a beat without their key, you know, their key players in the lineup. Like I mentioned about my buddy earlier, when I when he asked me, are you like, are you worried about the team going forward? There were so many trap games this week. I mean, and even since the Rams and the Packers lost now, this Cowboys loss is essentially pointless because yeah, it really doesn't matter. Things, like a lot of teams lost this week where it doesn't it's not really going to have an effect on standings overall because everybody lost. Yeah, and I mean the Bills lost to the Jaguars. Like that should just tell you how wacky of a week it was alone. I mean, the Cowboys lost, the Bills lost, the Bengals lost, the Rams lost, the Packers lost. Like I can keep going. Like it's everybody lost. Yeah, no, it was not a normal week of the NFL. Um but let's get into our new segment that we've kind of got into uh last episode. Uh we officially have a name for it now. I know. We're cool. Stud and Duds of the Week. What do you what do you think much, for this it's week? It's a much better name than than my highs and lows that I came <laughs> up with last week. Um yeah, so my my stud of the week on the uh the offensive side of the ball is Jonathan Taylor. Love it. Um Love with it. the Indianapolis Colts who played on Thursday night football and pretty much ended my fantasy football week before I had even had anybody play. Um, because he put up 35 points against me, was 19 for 172 and two touchdowns on the ground, had the long, second longest run um, in the NFL this year at 78 yards for a touchdown, second to only one of his other runs. So he holds the two longest uh, rushes in the NFL this year. He was electric. The Colts got a much-needed home win over the Jets. Um, so, yeah, he's my stud of the week. Who's yours? I mean, I think this one, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's James Conner. I mean, dude, he looked like the offense for the Cardinals. And obviously, Colt McCoy did his thing. He did a very solid job. But the dude performed against a solid 49ers defense. He had 96 yards and 21 attempts, five reception, and he did bring one to the house from Colt McCoy. So it's awesome to see James Conner succeed. Obviously, he has a great story. We all love James Conner. And uh, 
I'm glad to see that the Cardinals pulled it out. But as for stud of the team or stud week of the team or no stud team of the week, who do you got? Um, I got the Cardinals. You know, we've talked a lot about them so far, but you know, you have you missed your two top offensive weapons out for the game, and you get a double digit road divisional win. Um, it's inc- it was incredibly impressive. So they're my stud team of the week. I'm gonna go with Cleveland. I think Cleveland put out a big statement game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Baker Mayfield showed us up this week. I know we we bashed on him a little too much last week. But you know what? He proved it this week. Came out hot. Nick Chubb came out hot. They did exactly what they needed to do. And they were without Odell. Who knows if that means that they just didn't need Odell. But regardless, they got the W. And uh, those are our studs of the week. Let's get to the duds of the week. Mine is going to be Josh Allen. I mean, dude, you lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their coach is Urban Meyer. He's an Ohio (laughs) State, Florida coach. That does not know how to coach in the NFL. And you lost to them. That, like, that just speaks enough. The dude did not play well. And now I'll get into my team of the week in a second. But who do you got for your dud of the week? My dud of the week is Sam Darnold. Yep. Um, you know, the Panthers started 3-0. and And everyone was, you know, talking about how all Darnold needed was a change of scenery. Well, they're 1-5 since then. Um, <laughs> this week... This week, you know, McCaffrey, Chris McCaffrey was activated, which, you know, th- people thought was going to open the offense up a little bit for Darnold. He could get back to, you know, what he was when McCaffrey was active and just kind of open the offense up a little bit. Uh, Darnold went 16 for 33 for 172 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and a total QBR of three. Nice. Three, 3.0 on the week. Um, and the Panthers lost 24 to six at home to the New England Patriots. Um very unimpressed with Sam Darnold this week, looking more and more like the quarterback that he was in uh, with uh, in his time with the Jets. Well, I'm going to stick with someone that – well, I'm going to go with a team that I picked for the dud of the week. Their quarterback is who I picked for the dud player of the week. I got the Buffalo Bills. They uh, they lost to Jacksonville. Do I need to say much more? I mean, they, they lost to Jacksonville. No, it's, it's, it, it speaks for itself. Yeah, no, nah, you got it. Who do you, I mean, yours, mine's pretty reasonable, but you, yours has got to be just as good then, right? I mean, I hate to do it to you, but my, my dud of the week is the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. Um, All right. Yeah, I, I hate to do it to you, but 290 total yards, um, fell 30 to 16 at home to the Broncos, didn't put up points until the fourth. It just looked like a shell of the team that they've been all year. Um, you know, kind of, we mentioned it earlier. I'm not going to read too far into it, but it was just a very uninspiring performance from the Dallas Cowboys this week. I'm going to keep it a stack to all you guys that are listening. I probably would have picked the Cowboys too, but I knew you guys would have said, oh, he was all over the Cowboys last week, but <laughs> shit changes, folks. It changes. I promise uh... you <laughs> it, it changes, man. And that's going to conclude our NFL portion of the podcast. Let's get into the MLB portion of it let's talk some base let's talk some baseball dude get us into the have, whole dude, gold glove we stuff. got before that we have a new we have a new world champion since the last time we oh talked. that's right it's been a week the now braves yeah i mean we last uh, it was exactly a week since the braves took game six of the world series in houston in an absolute rout uh seven nothing against the astros winning the world series um, you know, we talked the key of the game was going to be whoever got into the bullpen first. And, you know, Jorge Soler hit a moonshot in the third inning. 
to put the Braves up three to nothing, and they never looked back. And you know, it was it was just a fun week for the Braves. They had their parade, which was super fun. Um, it's it just good. We talked about it, getting a new champ in there, and the Bra- the Braves were a very likable team. You know, it's harder for me to, to appreciate them just because they took down my Dodgers, but good good for Atlanta. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? No, I'm very happy to see that they won. I'm happy for Freddie. Most importantly, I wanted to see him break out and finally get that World Series ring that he deserves, uh, especially with the franchise that he's been with his whole career. So I'm very happy for Freddie. I really do hope he resigns, and we'll get into that soon. But um, Freddie looked great. Jorge Soler won World Series MVP, very much deserved, popped off in the World Series. And uh, a very unexpected World Series win, but at the end of the day, I'm very happy it did happen because not only did they take down the Astros, but they also proved to the world that without Ronald Acuna, they could still win some ball games. How great was Max Fried in the clincher? Six innings, four hits, no runs, six strikeouts, 74 pitches. I'm sure if the game was closer, he would have kept going. Um, but yeah, he, he was great. Uh, yeah, like you said, they don't they, they lost Ronald Acuna. They won 88 games in the in the entire regular season. They were 44 wins in the first half, 44 wins in the second half. Um, yeah, it was. It, it proves everybody that it's just about getting hot at the right time. That's all. That's all it takes. Yeah, I couldn't be more happy for the team. So hopefully they continue in the future. Hopefully they do get Freddie back. Hopefully Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back super healthy, and uh, they could keep all of those pieces that they need on the team. But there's a lot of free agents this offseason that are some really big names, and uh, we just mentioned one of them. Let's talk Freddie Freeman. What do we think he's going to go? I can't see Freddie Freeman leaving. I just can't, especially coming off a World Series. The message it would send to the fan base in Atlanta doesn't, it just wouldn't work out well. I I can't see Freddie playing anywhere else, um, maybe at the back end of his career, but right in the midst of his prime, I can't see him leaving Atlanta. I'm right with you on that. He's probably going to resign for like probably a five year. I'd say, like, how much would you think money was? I could see them giving him even a longer term contract than that if they just want to lock him up for the rest of his career he's going to get it he's going to get a ton of money he's the you know one of the top marquee free agents on the market i don't think he'll get as much money being a first baseman as you know some of the shortstops will yeah. but he's going to get paid he's going to get paid as probably the top maybe after goldschmidt the top uh, first baseman in the game um but i can't see it being anywhere other than in atlanta i hope it is because i really i just want to see freddie continue to take that franchise to the top and especially the fact that he's just kind of been there his whole career. I mean, you just want to see guys like that just stay. And I mean, yeah, I would exactly. hate to see him leave. So Yeah, there's something very special about playing your entire career in the same city, regardless of what sport you're in. Um, and I definitely think he's one of those guys that could end up doing that. I mean, we got a few guys on this list that have played their entire career with one team. One of them being yeah, Carlos Correa. Talk- yeah, let's talk some hitters. Um, Correa, you know, the, the marquee, the, the, the shortstop class is fantastic. Um, I think Correa is definitely the top Has to um, be. shortstop available. I can't see him staying in Houston, especially after the reports that he turned down a five-year, $125 million contract extension this year and just kind of shut down all all talks of an extension. I, I think his most likely destination is Detroit, yeah, um, they, they're looking to, to sign, you know, a marquee free agent and kind of, you know, jumpstart their rebuild with guys like uh, Spencer Torkelson, you know, knocking on the door of of the major leagues in their minor league system. 
Um, if not Detroit, Seattle is another potential landing spot. I'm not. I'm never going to rule out Houston, um, but just given the reports that he turned down all talks of an extension, I think he's he's ready to move on. I think he for sure stays in the American League. I will say that. I think he stays in the American League, and I think it's either, like you said, I think it's either Detroit reuniting with A.J. Hinch or we could see him go over in Seattle, stay in the AL West. Uh, I would hate that as an Angel fan. We already face him, and I don't want to face him anymore. Um, but the likeliness of that, it's very possible. I could see it happening. Um, I think he's going to get probably one of the biggest contracts we'll ever see come from shortstop. And uh, he does. He deserves it. I mean, he's been an amazing shortstop for the Houston Astros. Uh, obviously, he's been hated by a lot of fan bases for his whole handling of the the World Series cheating scandal. But regardless, the dude knows how to play him. baseball. I know, I'm sure I re- you. Do. I really hate him. I really hate him. <laughs> I do. Um, I don't blame there you. Were talks. People were asking me. They're like, "Would you want Correa like to come to the Dodgers? Like, if they were willing to give him a contract and help them win a ring?" Nope. Nope. I stay. Stay away. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I feel that 100%. I I mean, and like I said, the Angel fans think that we're going to get everybody. I mean, they think we're going to get Freddie Freeman. I swear, dude. And I don't mean this bad. But if we sign Freddie Freeman, it just doesn't make sense. I love Freddie Freeman. He's one of my favorite players in the league. But Freddie Freeman is a lefty bat. Jared Walsh is a lefty bat. It just wouldn't make sense. Like, why? Why would yeah, we do the Angels, that? The Angels have a lot of other glaring holes, and first base is not one of them. Dude, hey, will you say that? But then you sign Albert Pujols towards the end of his prime to a huge ass contract just for him to produce two good years out of it. Yeah, nah. It's the Angel way. Josh Hamilton, C.J. Wilson. <laughs> I could continue to name some bums that we just signed or traded for that did jack squat. So it's I, yeah. I'm never going to rule it out. I don't want it to happen. I want Freddie to stay in Atlanta just because I love him as a hitter and I love him as a uh, as an Atlanta Brave. And then Correa, everybody wants Correa. Angel fans want Correa. I don't think it happens, but like I said, I do think he stays in the AL West. Yeah, we got three other marquee shortstops hitting the market: uh, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, and Javier Baez. Um, and Trevor Story. And Trevor Story. Four. I, I think Seeger ends up with the Yankees because they need a left-handed bat um, really badly. And they can basically hand Seeger a blank check and say, how much money do you want if they wanted to? I could re- I see that happening. I don't think he's going to re-sign with the Dodgers just given the Trey Turner acquisition. Um, I'd love him to stay with the Dodgers. I just don't see it happening. I'm just trying to be as realistic as possible. Yep. Um, Baez, Baez, I think stays with the Mets. Um, I think Lindor is going to recruit him very heavily. And he, he was, he was pretty good when he, you know, post trade to the Mets after they, they acquired him yeah. um, for Pete Crow Armstrong. He was pretty good. I think he stays there. Trevor story is kind of a mystery. Uh, if I had to pick one landing spot for him, I'm going with the Texas Rangers mm-hmm. kind of similar to a Detroit type thing. You know, he's, he's from Texas. I'm fairly certain um, and they just need they need that new like cornerstone centerpiece to to rebuild around. And I think I think Trevor Story is a top three shortstop in baseball. I really do. I think he does everything very well. Um, so I think he could be a great piece for them. And then I think Semyon resigns with the Blue Jays. I really do. I think they were so close this year to to making the playoffs, and they, you can see how close they are with you know Bichette finding his own, Vlad finding his own. Um, the pitching was great this year. I don't think they're really ready to let. 
a key piece walk away and kind of set themselves back even more when they can feel how close they are. So I, I think Semyon stays there. What do you got on those four? I mean, I think that one of these shortstops ends up signing with the Yankees. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think one of them for sure does. Like the amount of money that's at stake, the amount of opportunities that are at stake, it, it just doesn't make sense for one of them to not sign there. And I do think that Corey Seager is going to be that shortstop that ends up signing with the Yankees. Um, I will stick with Cart Correa going to Detroit. Um, and I will say that Seager probably ends up in um, in some pinstripes, which would be pretty cool. I mean, I would love Seager as a new fan, but I don't think we should spend money towards a shortstop. I think it just just all go to pitching. Uh, and hopefully it does. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen. You never know with the front office. But at the end of the day, I think he goes to uh, some Yankee pinstripes. It's tough to say, like you said, story is such a a toss in the air. I mean, he really could go wherever he wants. And I think Texas does make a lot of sense. I, I just don't know where he – I think St. Louis is another possibility. Um, For sure. Going with Arenado. I think that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Very, yeah. I would say probably St. Louis for story. Uh, I agree with you a thousand percent on Baez. I don't see how he leaves. I think him and Lindor, they, he was traded there because he always said that he wanted to play with Lindor. So the fact that they've been able to play with each other, they were a good duo at second and short. I just, I don't see it. I don't see them moving away from each other. So hopefully uh, Baez resigns over there. And then as for Simeon, I will say I did know this before, and I'm not – I don't mean to sound like, oh, my gosh, I have my sources, but I did know that Canha was on a visit with Seattle before it was announced. Um, Canha yeah. was out there, and he had a dinner with – I believe it was the GM, and you know he had his whole meeting out there. But I think Seattle is going to do some really sneaky things this offseason that's going to go under the radar. And I think Seattle has been rumored to be involved in all this. Obviously, they're a team that's willing to spend. They're a team that's willing to go all in this season. And I just don't see how they don't get a guy like Simeon or even possibly story as crazy as it sounds, or even just getting a guy that you could trade for. I think it's going to be a very good offseason for Seattle, and I think Simeon's going to be the starting to that. Yeah, I think Seattle definitely makes a strong push this offseason. Um, if not staying in, I think if Simeon leaves Toronto, I think Seattle is the most likely destination. Um, another guy we're going to talk about that I do have going to Seattle is Chris Bryant. Ooh, um, okay. I think I think I think that makes a lot of sense for them. They were very interested in him at the deadline, or interested in him um, at the trade deadline, and just didn't pull the trigger on any big move then just because of you know their positioning and the standings and whatnot but i if not you know we talked you talked about Semyon and, and the mariners i think you they could end up with both bryant and Semyon. they have the money to spend and they they have holes that they need to fill i do think like you said it's going to be a very exciting off season for mariners fans um i just don't think Semyon leaves but if he does seattle yes and i do have chris bryant going to the mariners uh, i mean yeah I could see Bryant going to the Mariners for sure. And I think they have the money, like you said. I mean, it's not like they're not going to spend that money away. And Bryant will be a great option for third base replacing Seager. I think it's leaving a lot of Seattle fans uneasy and a little, I guess, just upset with the loyalty to Kyle Seager. The dude's done so much for their franchise. He's been there since day one. And kind of just letting him go, it's kind of, 
you know, it, it doesn't sit with me right, I guess. But it's not like you would have cost them a ton of money either. That's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. Like it's, it's not it's not like it's like the Freddie Freeman situation where he's gonna demand a ton of money and they're not sure if they want to lock themselves up. Like if they gave if they picked up even if they didn't even extend him, they just picked up Kyle Seager's player option. Like he had a good year. Like he was productive for them this year. It would have made a lot of sense to me. And I think the message that it sent to their fan base, not a good one. Not at all. But I, I will agree with you. I think we either see a Bryant resigning with the Giants, or I see him going back uh, over to Seattle, maybe possibly with Simeon. I would love to see that. Hopefully that could happen. But moving on to the next one, let's talk about Starling Marte. I, I got Starling Marte with the New York Mets. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, Conforto just declined his qualifying offer, which means he's going to demand more money than the $18.5 million a year that they offered him on the qualifying offer. Um, so I'm not sure if they're going to want to lock themselves up in that contract, which opens up an outfield spot for them. And I think, you know, Starling Marte offers a lot of what they want there. They got, you know, got a, I can't even talk right now. A contact guy, he's going to put the ball out of the yard a little bit. Crazy speed um, to kind of put in the top of that order. Uh, I think he fits really well in New York. And, and they, they need to win in New York. They've been talking about it for too long. Steve Cohen comes in, has all the money in the world to spend. Um, he showed it with Lindor and then the crazy extension. And I think that he strikes again this offseason, landing or retaining Baez and then landing Starling Marte. Who were the teams that were interested in Marte? Were the Rays one of them? I feel like they were. Yeah, the Rays were one of them. You know, he the uh, the A's are involved, you know, just because they traded for him and they could look to um, bring him back. Um, but yeah, the, Ray, the Rays were definitely involved. I'm not sure who else. Um, but Marte's a guy that, you know, I feel like fits into pretty much any offense, any lineup. He does everything very well. Um, and I don't think he's going to demand as much money, um, as some of these other free agents are going to. So he could be a guy that, you know, not, not a team friendly deal, but it's also not a deal that's going to break the bank for any teams. No, I agree. I think, but I think at the end of the day, I do think he signs with the Rays. Um, I think it'd be a very, it's a good deal for both sides. I mean, Marte has been a guy that's always been super underrated and obviously we recognize it as more than typical baseball fans, but I feel like just looking from an outsider perspective as just like a casual baseball fan, not many people recognize Starling Marte for his great play. And I think him going to the Rays would be an awesome addition to them. He really could leverage them to the top. Um, and yeah, knowing that they were interested in over the off season or even over, uh, the trade deadline, it should be a good move for both sides. I really do like it. Uh, and hopefully it goes there. And I will say, I have heard from a few people that the A's are going to blow it up. Like they're not going to keep yeah. anybody. I mean, Matt Chapman's going to no, be the only I, guy I they see keep. that happening. Literally yeah, the only I guy. saw there there's rumblings about them trading Matt Olson. Um, which I think is very possible and just kind of, yeah, blowing it up, especially in the AL West where the Astros are still at the top and the Mariners seem to be making a push. Um, yeah, they, they, that, that's a very strong possibility and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they just blew everything up entirely. Yeah, no, I've heard everything. Like I've heard Marte's gone. They're going to let as shocking as it sounds, they're going to let Canha walk. Um, they're going to let, um, Olsen go. I think he's going to be a trade option this season, this off season. There's going to be a lot of guys that they're just going to say, you know what? Let's ship it out. I think Chafin's gone. I think Diekman's gone. Rosenthal could be going. I think 
the A's are pretty much done now that Melvin went to see uh went to San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about San Diego, one of our last two, you know, free agent bats, I got the Padres signing Nick Castellanos. Wow. Because I think the D I think I think the DH is coming to the NL. And I think that that makes a lot of sense for him. They have all the pieces. They just, they, they got to capitalize on this, you know, this window of like Tatis Machado who, who are both locked up there for a long time, but you bring Castellanos and put him in that lineup and he doesn't have to play in the, in the outfield. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Padres. I definitely, I definitely see that. I just, oh man, it's tough. I think Seattle's going to be a team that definitely looks to try and get him. Um, there's just so many teams. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of them. Texas, they're willing to spend some money this offseason. Even just like the teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect but expect at the same time. Maybe Milwaukee, you know, makes out there and comes and tries to get Nicasianos. There's so many different teams that you could see try to get them. Uh, I probably am going to go with you, though, on San Diego just because I I think you are right. I think we're going to be seeing the DH come back to the NL after a very short stint uh, over the 60-game season. I think it's going to happen. I think Cassianos is one of the most underrated and uh, better hitting outfielders in the game. Hopefully he does remain as a DH. But um, I've, I've loved Cassianos. I've loved watching him. I think he made a lot of cool things happen last season after he was practically a meme for something that he didn't really even do. He just hit a home run in the, in the wrong time. Um, but I really like Cassianos. Hopefully he goes to a contender. I would love to see him compete in the postseason. And uh, I'm going to go with San Diego with you. Yeah. Um, staying in the NL West, our last free agent bat. We'll do some free agent pitchers next week. But the last bat that I got uh, is Chris Taylor. And I think he resigns with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers saw this year how valuable Kike Hernandez was. Uh, in the utility, you know, versatility that he provided. I don't think they're going to let another guy who provide, who, you know, is a better hitter, better all around player um, in Chris Taylor, let him walk this off season, especially if a guy like Corey Seager leaves that lineup. I think that Chris Taylor, you know, kind of flies under the radar in LA because he's playing with, you know, names such as Bellinger, Seager, Justin Turner, now Trey Turner, um, Mookie Betts, he kind of flies under the radar a little bit and guys, people, the public doesn't necessarily recognize the production and value that he has to that team. Um, but I think that he re-signs in LA with the Dodgers. I'm with you on that 1,000%. I think he's going to stay uh, as a Los Angeles Dodger. And I do think there's another team that could fight for him a lot, and that would be the Seattle Mariners. I do think we could see a reunion there. Uh, like we're going to mention, Seattle's going to be a contention for pretty much everybody. They're going to want to spend money. They have been known to... Even pushing out there, Jerry Depoto has said, this isn't going to be like the typical offseason we have. I'm ready to spend money. It's bound to happen. But I don't think the Dodgers are going to lose a guy like Chris Taylor. He's way too valuable for their offense. And even on the defensive side, he's done some magical things for that team. I think he's got to stay as a Dodger. And uh, I think we'll be seeing it pretty soon. Hopefully he gets locked up by them. Um, it's just a, only time will tell. Yeah, the only thing I see with the Mariners and Chris Taylor is Chris Taylor does not forget that the Mariners traded him straight up for Zach Lee to the Dodgers. Yeah, Do you know that, who that Zach Lee is? Have, have you, have you heard of Zach Lee? Because most people haven't because he's <laughs> career, he's a career one in one in the MLB with an eight, five, three ERA and 
just is completely out. I mean, he, I think he just signed a minor league deal with the Cincinnati Reds, but he hasn't touched the major leagues since like 2017. Um, even then, it was in very short stints. I don't think he forgets that they basically just gave up on him. So I don't know how much money they'd have to pay him to bring him back. Um, yeah, but he could he could leave very well. You know, someone could give him a lot of money because they know how they know you know the value that he provides. Also, you know, we're talking about the Dodgers, and you earlier mentioned angels pitching what are the dodgers thinking signing andrew heaney like, what, what, <laughs> i knew what this was we, gonna come up i knew are, it what are we what are we doing so okay like, such a terrible sign. Like, <laughs> he's so he's so bad like you never want to see your team like sign a guy that you bet against all of the last mlb season no matter who he was playing just because you know how bad like he had a 583 era this year and has a career 472 like he's not good it's sad because I don't get it. it's it's sad because I really do like Haney as a person, not as a player, but as a person. And I think just seeing everything he did for Skaggs and everything that he went through through the Angels organization, it's really made him made me like feel connected to Heaney and him connected to the Angels organization. But that being said, the dude sucks at baseball. Um <laughs> <laughs> he's, I was gonna he, say he could be, he could be a great guy. Like I, nothing against him as a person. No, I don't know anything about him as a person, but he's a terrible pitcher. Yeah, he's horrible. He leaves everything over the I middle. Don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it, and I don't know what it means for the future of Clayton Kershaw with the Dodgers. It just, ah, it does not sit well with me at all. I think it was just. I mean, the the thing that worries me a little bit is I like the one year deal. I hate the eight million. I know. Yeah, that, it's, it's it's not like they just gave him penny change. Like they gave him a decent. If decent it was a three million dollar deal, or a pitcher on a one year deal. If it was a three million dollar deal, I love it because it's a low risk, high reward. But you're paying eight million dollars out of your yearly salary for Andrew Frickin Heaney. Come on now, that's horrible. That's that's I I would be like just like you. I'd be pissed if I were a Dodger fan. Yeah, I'm 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 very upset about it. it. Wasn't the way I wanted to kick off the off season, but the way I do want to kick off the off season is with some awards because we are in full swing of award season. We had the Gold Gloves handed out this past week. MLB great marketing, giving out their MLB their uh, their Gold Gloves in the middle of Monday Night Football. It's the great <laughs> it's, a, it's the best way to it's a great way to grow the game because you know we're not struggling with that at all. Shout out Rob um, Manfred, great job Rob Manfred. Um, but yeah, we should we should definitely talk about those. Um. You want to just go position by position and rattle them off? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, so we, we can start with first base. National League, We the finalists were Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, and Max Muncy. And Paul Goldschmidt won the award. It's the fourth of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, led all MLB first baseman with 10 defensive runs saved. You know, you can't really go wrong with Freeman, uh, not Freeman, Goldschmidt. Um, in the NL, he's probably the best all-around first baseman in baseball. Um, the American League, you had Jared Walsh, as we talked about earlier. Oh, boy. Matt Olson. And the winner was Yuli Gurriel. Yuli Gurriel, um, who also won the AL batting title this year, um, had a great year. I don't, I don't watch a ton of Astros games because I, I hate them, um, for lack of a better word. So I didn't see him play a ton of defense this year, but the numbers speak for themselves. No, they're definitely solid. But I think at the same time, like I honestly would have given it to either Olsen or Walsh. Like I'm not going to be biased and straight up say – he should have been Jared Walsh should have been the guy that won the gold glove. But I will say I I don't know about Guriel. 
I don't think it should have been him. I think he's obviously a great defender. I just would have liked to see Olsen or Walsh come away with that award. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't have much of an opinion about it because I frankly watch a lot more NL baseball than I do AL baseball. Right. Um, but yeah, another Cardinal. There were like five Cardinals won gold gloves this year, but at second base, Tommy Edmond won the, the NL gold glove at second base over Ozzie Albies and former Cardinal Colton Wong. Uh, I have no complaints all, with that, honestly. Yeah, you can't. The guy does everything. He led all MLB second basemen with 13 outs above average. Um, but he, he's he been great uh, as a defender just his entire career. Plays a ton of different positions. I have no complaints about Tommy Edmond in the National League. Um, in the American League, Marcus Semyon, who's also a AL MVP finalist, took home the gold glove over David Fletcher of the Angels and Whit Merrifield of the Royals. What do you think about that? Considering, See, this, you know, is, this, is where I, this is where I fight. Okay. Okay. Fletcher should have won gold glove and it's I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's close. The dude single-handedly saved our infield this season. We had Luis Renjifo, okay? He would play second and things would be way worse at times and it was hard to watch and people want Luis Renjifo to be our shortstop next season. I don't hate it, but I don't like it either. I think Fletcher played at such a great high level. He saved us a lot. I don't have the defensive runs saved right in front of me, but I know that the dude did come up super clutch in the biggest moments when we needed him to, whether it was a ground ball up the middle, uh, fielding it on his glove side, whatever it came to be, he came through. Fletch is just that type of dude. I really would have loved to see Fletch win the gold glove, especially since an old guest of the podcast, Mark Gooby, shouted out Fletchy every single time he made a phenomenal play and said, that's gold glove Fletch. Would have loved to see him win it, and uh, it's a little unfortunate that he didn't, but hopefully in the future we could see him win one. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have had any complaints if Fletcher won it. Um, Semyon, I had an all-around great year. I think he's going to win multi- I think he's gonna win the Silver Slugger. He hit 45 home runs, I think, this year. Yep. Um, so it's just the first just the first of many awards for Semyon coming this offseason. Third even, base. Not even that, What's though. Up? Not even that, though. He was an MVP finalist, too. That, they just announced that today. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great for him. Um, in a year where he, you know, bet on himself, um, and is going to get paid this offseason. So very good hey. for Marcus Semyon. Third base, high school teammates Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman Love took it. home the Gold Gloves. Probably, I mean, they're probably the two all-around best infield defensive infielders in baseball. You can't I don't complain think about any that. Debating that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arenado wins his ninth straight Gold Glove at third base. Um, which is ridiculous. Uh, Manny Machado and Ryan McMahon were the other National League third base finalists. In the American League, you had Joey Wendell and Jose Ramirez. But again, you know, Matt Chapman. Doesn't compare. Matt Chapman and Nolan Arenado make plays like routinely that you just drop your jaw at. Like it's it's a pleasure to watch every single night. Um, Shortstop, Brandon Crawford who just drank from the fountain of youth this year. Love it. Um, just revived his career, won his fourth career. Gold Glove is first since 2017 over Francisco Lindor and Kevin Newman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Carlos Correa won it in the American League, playing stellar defense over J.P. Crawford and, and uh, Andrelton Simmons. Um, yeah, Correa's it's his first career Gold Glove, which is pretty nuts, um, but it honestly couldn't have come at a better time in a contract year. And he's going to get paid this year also. I think you definitely could have made an argument for J.P. Crawford, but I don't think you can deny that Carlos Correa needed to come away with this award. 
he had a phenomenal season, not just hitting, but defensively. And uh, I'm glad he won the award, honestly. I really am. Yeah, Correa had uh, led MLB shortstops with 21 defensive runs saved, wasn't even close, blew everyone else out of the water in that category, and I think very respectfully wins the American League uh, shortstop gold glove award. Left field, um, more St. Louis Cardinals. Tyler O'Neill won his second uh, consecutive gold glove in what really was like his breakout year. Loved um, it. Had a had a huge year at the plate as well. Uh, took home the award over National League West uh, two two National League West outfielders AJ Pollock and David Peralta. I have no issue with Tyler O'Neill winning the award. I watched the Dodgers play pretty much every night and was very surprised that AJ Pollock was a uh, Gold Glove finalist. Not because like he's bad out there, just because he doesn't do anything that makes me like really like freak out he's just like barely above average just, in the field yeah, he's just a good know? he's just a good at he's a good outfielder yeah like, i don't think he's he's nothing special though so that was a little surprising david peralta has always been a very above average outfielder but tyler o'neill no complaints there that's what the fourth uh cardinal we've talked about yeah him arenado edmund and goldschmidt and we're not done more. With the we're yeah. Not, yeah i was about to say we're not done um al al left field andrew benintendi uh wins his first career gold glove um, good for him. He's always been a great outfielder in his first year uh, with Kansas City after five with Boston. Good for Benintendi. I've always rooted for Benintendi. I thought he got an unfair amount of scrutiny in Boston. So I like seeing him win that award. Well, I mean, you could make the argument that a lot of players have had a lot of unfair scrutiny coming out of Boston. I mean, yeah, it's it's Boston. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's not just Benintendi. <laughs> but you know what, dude? I'm glad for him. He's, like you said, he's always been a a very, very solid outfielder. So... Uh, happy he won the gold glove, and hopefully there's many more for him to come in the future with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, center field, our final St. Louis Cardinal, thank God, um, Harrison <laughs> Bader. Harrison Bader won his first career gold glove in center field. Um, the guy is wicked fast, like stupidly fast, like gets to balls that you think are doubles in the gap, and he just gets to them standing. It's ridiculous. Uh, over Brian Reynolds and Jackie Bradley Jr., in center field in the National League and the American League, another Kansas City Royal, Michael A. Taylor, um, wins the gold glove in center field over Kevin Kiermeyer, Kevin Kiermeyer and Miles Straw. I definitely think that we should have seen a unanimous just coming out of Harrison Bader. Like, I don't care if, you know, they don't release it publicly or whatever it may be. Just Bader was an absolute stud for St. Louis this year. He had another breakout season as well, not to the caliber of Tyler O'Neill, but to the point where he played better than he did in the past for the Cardinals. And not to mention his defense was even better than it was in the past, even though it was already very above average. Yeah. Bader reminds me a lot of um, Dash from the Incredibles. <laughs> um because one, because he's stupid fast, and two, just because they like actually kind of look alike. Yeah, but for sure. yeah, he just he just like has like cartoon speed, like it's crazy. Um, and I think like it single handedly won him the gold glove. Uh, our last, or no, not our last award, our last outfielders. Uh, two guys that switched teams uh, middle of the year: Adam Duvall, right field in the National League, over Mookie Betts and Mike Yastrzemski, and Joey Gallo wins his second straight gold glove in right field. Uh, in the American League over Hunter Renfro and Kyle Tucker. That's an interesting one. Renfro was very, very good for the Boston Red Sox this season. Known for his arm, he is an amazing cannon out in the outfield, but how do you feel about Mookie not uh, not winning gold glove? Um, you know, I th- Mookie's always going to be in the conversation. 
like always because I think he's so stellar. But Duval Duval had a great year, and I think I think being in the conversation every year kind of takes some of what Mookie does like away from him in a way. Like it's expected of him. Right. So if he performs at that high of a level, it doesn't like stand out to anybody. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, I have no complaints with Duval. I, I really don't. I, I'm. It would have been great if Mookie won it, but Mookie's gonna win three more in his career. I'm not very concerned about it. Oh yeah, no reason to be concerned at all. Um. All right, now we got our pitchers and catchers, which you know, pitchers say what you want, whatever. But catchers, which are you know, arguably the most important defensive position on the field in the National League, you have Jacob Stallings winning his first career Gold Glove uh, over Yadier Molina and JT Real Muto. Uh, he had 21 defensive runs saved, which were nine more than uh, Austin Hedges, who was second place and tied with Carlos Correa at shortstop for the most at any position. So I, I have no complaints about Stallings in uh, in the National League. My buddy always praises he's a catcher, or he was a catcher, and he always praised the fact that Stallings and Hedges are some of the best catchers we'll ever see in baseball. So I'm very happy to hear that Stallings won a gold glove. And uh, I wish I would have seen – did Hedges end up winning? Did I miss that out on that? Uh, Hedges was not even a finalist this really? year. Really? Okay. Yeah, the winner in the American League was Sean of the Oakland A's, Sean taking home Murphy. his first wow. career gold glove. Yeah, uh, had 10 defensive runs saved, trailed only Austin Hedges in the American League, uh, led all MLB catchers in fan graphs, defensive runs above average with 19.6, whatever whatever that means. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's, that's over, foolish baseball that's, stats. That's above, my, that's, above, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> um, over, he won it over Martin, over Martin Maldonado and Salvador Perez, who I don't understand why Salvador Perez is in the conversation. Shouldn't like he be. at one time was like a premier defensive catcher in the American League, and now is like statistically one of the worst defensive catchers in the American League. Like I feel like it's like Yachty, where he just like comes in based off his reputation for being like at one point a stud catcher. Like his bat, like I'm not gonna compl- like not gonna say anything bad about his bat. He had a career year at the plate, had more home runs this year than a catcher has ever had i think in a year um for in the american league for catchers but he's just not there defensively anymore yeah no i think a lot of people have overrated salvi the past let's even say weeks i mean he had a great offensive season but it's always been kind of a weird thing to talk about when it comes to his defense because he's never really been the best or even possibly top five. Like he was, he was very good. He was very above average, but I wouldn't say he was literally like in the top five conversation for catchers at a moment. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're right. Um, pitchers, the last ones that we got, uh, two lefties, Max Fried wins his second career gold glove in or back to back years. Um, since according to MLB.com, since he became a full-time starter in 2019, he leads the MLB, uh, all MLB pitchers with 16 defensive runs saved. So good for Max Fried. Wins the award over Zach Davies and Zach Wheeler. In the American League, Dallas Keuchel won his fifth career gold glove, first since 2018, over Jose Barrios and Zach Granke. You mentioned it. They're pitchers. I mean, hey. Yeah. You I mean, catch the ball that's fielded right to you. I'm surprised Stroman wasn't a candidate. I will say that. I mean, Stroman made some very challenging plays at the pitcher position that I know a lot of other pitchers in the league couldn't make. Uh, Stroman to the Angels, I hope. But um, yeah, I really <laughs> like Stroman. I think he should have been a candidate for sure. 
How do you not like Strowman? Everyone I I, Strowman. I don't know how you can. I mean, he he does come off a little braggadocious in some of his tweets, but that's that's a good cocky. There's a good cocky and a bad cocky. You know what I mean? I tweeted the other I tweeted the other day that Strowman, like if you like, especially during the playoffs, Strowman was like tweeting. He's very active on Twitter. It was like very. analyzing everything other pitchers were doing and like just kind of pointing things out that other people don't see. Like if Strowman wanted to pull a Pat McAfee right now and just stop pitching for some reason and go into like media and like and like being an analyst, like he'd be the top analyst in baseball right off the rip. Yeah, no. Nah. Stroman's a stud and he will be a stud for years to come. Um that'll be interesting. We'll talk about him next week about where he could be ending up. I might be biased with what I say, but I definitely think there's a lot of possibilities of where Stroman could head this offseason. Uh, Dodgers? Dodgers? Maybe no. Dodgers. You got Andrew Meany, man. You're good. <laughs> we got our pitcher. Ah. Yeah, there's your there's your Yay. lefty replacement. Andrew Heaney gonna save our rotation. Well No, we gotta we gotta bring Scherzer back, but we'll talk about pitchers next week. That's next week, folks, and I appreciate you guys so much for listening to this one. Make sure if you guys are not yet, subscribe, leave a positive review, whatever you guys have to do. Depends on what you guys are listening on. Check out the merch. Uh like I said, I'm currently wearing it. So proud of how it came out. It looks amazing. Uh, my man Jake will be posting it throughout Twitter throughout the week. I really do appreciate it if you guys have checked it out or if you guys are going to be buying something, DM Jake or I, or even just put it out on social media and we'll retweet it. Um, and I hope Interact to see you guys with soon. us on social media. Yes, yeah, seriously. Follow Interact us on Twitter. Us on social media. We meant, we meant to put out a tweet this week on the uh, Heading Into Overtime Twitter account, which we didn't do, but we will for next week. Um, we want to answer some questions from you guys. So give us you know, your biggest sports takeaways from the week or questions that you have, and we'll take a few um, from Twitter and answer them on next week's episode. And like I mentioned, if you guys want to see any guests, let us know. We are going to get some guests aligned for you guys. Ben Verlander has always been, already been confirmed. Real Shelfie. We mentioned it last week. If you don't know who he is, you live under a rock. He might be coming on the podcast pretty soon. And, uh, yeah, just let us, uh, let us know who you guys want to see on. And that is going to conclude the sec or the, what is it now? The fifth, the fourth, the fifth episode of the Heading Into Overtime podcast. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Have a great rest of your day, guys, and peace. Overtime next. <laughs>